You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, I'm Wade Zaglis, the Education Editor for Campus Review. The COVID-19 pandemic tore a hole in the Australian university sector, highlighting just how dependent many of our institutions have become on international student revenue. Now, roughly a year later, the sector is still adjusting to challenging conditions and many experts have questioned how universities will need to operate in the future to remain viable, trusted and valuable. Today I'm talking to Professor Andrew Jasper about this issue. He is the director and editor of the Global Academy, hosted at Monash University, and founder of The Conversation. Andrew, we know the pandemic has had a devastating effect on the Australian university sector. Does it appear as though it's recovering anytime soon? Um, Wade, uh, uh, the first thing I should say to you is I'm, I'm not uh, on the side of uh, the university that sort of looks at uh, how the revenues are rebuilding. Um, the, the one thing I do know is what's, what's, what's in the sort of public domain, which is that universities have lost this year uh, around about 10 billion in international student revenue. Um, now, some of that is being recouped because universities are offering discounts on fees if, if they um, if they enrol for, for this year. So typically, there's kind of a 20, 25% discount if, if international students want to remain in their country uh, where, where they're living and do it by online. Um, so there is some recovery from international student income. Um, and also, as we become better at dealing with quarantine issues, et cetera, um, there are increasingly bubbles being formed to allow students to actually you know, come to Australia. I know of one with uh, Adelaide, for example. Um, the other area is that uh, universities are kind of pivoting uh, somewhat towards um, uh, other countries um, uh, to, to, to supply students or enroll students. Uh, but also there's a rethinking of um, the way that universities can serve a domestic audience or, uh, uh, or domestic um, users of their, their services. So in addition, for example, to the traditional sort of three-year, three- or four-year degree, um, there is kind of the introduction of many more short courses um, so there's a kind of focus around that. And then I guess there's also what Alan Tudge has been urging the universities to do, which is to, um, in a sense, uh, develop new revenue streams, such as the commercialization of, of research. Now, typically, the commercialization of research um, you know, can take many, many years, uh, both in terms of developing the research and then actually earning uh, revenue from it. So... Um, so, so these are not things that can be done terribly quickly. So there's a kind of a range of issues that are being looked at. Um, but I think, um, I think the, the worst is probably over, uh, although there was a prediction that this coming year could be as bad, if not worse. Uh, but in certain cases, universities have reduced headcount. Um, there's been a, a very large loss of staff uh, right across Australia through largely voluntary redundancy schemes. Um, which has reduced, um, you know, the, the, um, the overall, uh, not just headcount, but cost of employing uh, what is probably the most expensive bit of any, any university, which is its, its staffing numbers. 
so there's, there's a number of things that are being looked at, but um, I still think we're in a what might be called an in-between stage, which mm-hmm. is be- between pre-COVID and we're by no means post-COVID. I mean, I think we're going to have to learn to live with COVID. So that does mean that there's still a lot of thinking to be done. I don't think it's, it's in any way clear that universities are out of, out of the worst. Andrew, I know this is not your particular area of expertise, but in your opinion, do you think Australian universities became too reliant on international markets to the detriment of the domestic ones? Um, Well, first of all, thank you for um, putting that conditional sentence at the beginning because it it really is not my area of expertise. But... um, I don't think I would recast your question somewhat in, insofar as um, public universities, which is the majority of universities in this country, 39 of them, um, were founded on the basis largely of being funded by the public through, um, through, the, through taxpayers, I guess. Um, and um, as government um, uh, funding of universities came under increased pressure just in terms of all public spending being constantly under scrutiny. Um, both parties, not just sorry, both the coalition and Labour, uh, were increasingly looking at how to trim back on the subsidy or support they provided the public universities. Um, and so what this did was it forced the universities to then look for new uh, revenue sources Mm-hmm. And one of them was obviously commercialization. Another one was uh, domestic students. But the international students actually brings two or three or four times the amount of money that every single domestic student brings. So it became, as it were, um, uh, the the sort of option that most universities went towards because it was easy and it was good money. Um, but also there was a plus side to it, which is it meant that the universities were less um, monocultural insofar as it wasn't just full of Australians, but there was a, a really big mix. Uh, I mean, I've taught some of these classes, and it's at times more like a United Nations university when you have when you sit in a class with, with students from India and China and Singapore and Africa and so on and so forth. Um, so there, there is a, a big positive side, and it did mean that universities reached out more to uh, particularly our our uh, backyard, which is the Asia-Pacific region, uh, and built um, partnerships and, and so on and so forth. So there was a plus side to it, but you're, you're right that, um, that with the reduction of revenues from international students, it has forced universities to rethink um, how they're going to fund themselves into the future, particularly in an economic climate where this government uh, has been pretty hostile to universities. Um, You've got to remember that universities are this country's biggest non-mining export, and yet when it came to JobKeeper, the universities applied for support and it was rejected, though it was given to the likes of hairdressers and God knows what else. Um, So I think that's sort of told me a story that that the universities are going to have to rethink the relationship that they have with particularly this coalition government. And and this coalition government has obviously got a run until at least uh, probably next year or the year after. 
And then, you know, there is a possibility, obviously, that they'll win. So that's a, a further three years on top of that. So they do have to find a new language, a new way of arguing their case with the university, which is kind of has a view of universities as being elitist. Um, there is a view that they teach too much of the humanities, which is at times uh, provoking debates around issues which they're not terribly sympathetic to. Um, and, you know, that universities are not necessarily um, supplying the kind of um, service that the coalition thinks universities ought to uh, perform. And by the way, there's another area, sort of an ideological area around freedom of speech issues, which they're very critical of universities on. Mm. Uh, and I, I think unfairly so. But the point I'm making to you is this government is, is pretty hostile to universities. Alan Tudge has kind of told them that they've got to commercialise more, which is moving them, moving them out of the, um, as it were, public sector and pushing them more towards a private sector approach. Um, so there, there are some really big issues facing universities and, and how they respond um, is, is kind of um, very much um, in the making right now. I don't, I don't think any university is quite clear about how to go forward. I might just finish off by saying a number of universities concluded quite big strategic reviews of what they were doing, which were conducted during 2018, 19 and early 20. Uh, and all of those are now out of date. So we are really turning a, a, a fresh page here in terms of uh, what we're next for universities. And that makes it actually quite interesting, uh, but I think quite challenging for universities. Just going back to some of the points you made earlier, in, in these, I guess, uh, new, new times, uh, do you believe that universities need to focus far more on these different course offerings and different delivery modes to strengthen their perceived value, not only to the current government, incoming governments, but also to maintain public trust and a sense of having a social licence? Yes, well, look, um, I, I fully uh, agree with your assessment there. That I, I do think that uh, the bonds between universities and wider civic society um, and don't forget civic society, uh, as in the public, pays taxes, which supports universities, uh, along with government as well. But those, those bonds have really weakened or in some cases are, are broken. And universities are going to have to rethink their purpose, as it were, their central purpose. And one of those is clearly the courses they teach. And I think universities are really rethinking um, quite radically um, what those offerings will be. A lot of them will be increasingly now online and, and digital. Um, you'll see more and more universities saying you don't even have to turn up at the university. It's a 100% digital course. Um, there are these new short courses, which will be uh, the equivalent of um, kind of top-up degrees or, or um short micro uh, credentials, those kind of things which will help you with your career development. So it means that even though you've been to university 10 years ago, you can pop back in, as it were, maybe online or, or in person and get a bit of an upgrade uh, on your skills. Um, but there's another area which I think universities will begin to um, 
be less um, um, less of a sort of monolithic approach towards what they do. And I think there'll be more specialist, specialism coming along. So, for example, ANU, I think, is moving away from undergraduates more towards postgraduates and research, um, which is, you know, one kind of model. Mm-hmm. Um, you've then got um, other universities like RMIT moving much more into the sort of case area, skills and trades and those kind of those kind of offerings. Um, then you've got the university I, I'm with, Monash, is um, highly geared towards research um, and you know, earns a lot of income through its, its research discoveries and, and patents. Um, but also um, it is engaging more and more uh, with both um, local communities. For example, there's a big project which I'm involved in here at Monash on the future of Melbourne, um, which is very interesting in terms of the fact that fewer people will be going to work in the CBD and how that's going to affect and change the way the city operates. Um, Melbourne University is doing something quite interesting, which is it's actually going to um, one of the most disadvantaged um, areas of Melbourne, uh, uh, Broadmeadows, and is actually going there um, and, and has a unit actually working there looking at you know all aspects of that community in terms of its transport, its housing, its health, um, and uh, justice systems, etc., and just trying to build a new infrastructure that would uh, work better for that suburb. So there's a real attempt and engagement there as well. So, um, and the other thing I should say about Monash, just because it's an area I'm, I'm involved in, is there is a real um, commitment from the uh, Vice-Chancellor down to it being a truly global university. And it is already probably one of the best connected universities um, uh, in Australia. And as you probably read, uh, it's just completed an agreement with the Indonesian government to build the first um, international campus Uh um, in, in Jakarta. So it is looking to kind of change its, uh, profile um, both here at home and, and overseas, but I think you're going to see more of that going on. And um, and I think um, I don't know if you wanted to talk separately about Mark Scott and the University of Sydney, but I, I think that's a very interesting development as well in terms of universities pivoting uh, in terms of how they engage with um, with civic society. Yes, definitely. I mean the the appointment of Mark Scott. Um, even though he's a very polished, um, experienced individual in both, um, you know, um, the media and uh, the education sector, um, ha- has really signalled a shift in the industry. As as he's not an academic yet, he is uh, become the new vice chancellor. So, what do you think we can expect from him? Um, and do you think other universities? might follow with non-academic appointments to a, to the top job in the future? Well, look, um, first of all, uh, Wade, full disclosure, uh, the reason I'm actually even in Australia is because Mark Scott recruited me in 2004 to edit The Age. Uh, he was editorial director at Fairfax um, in 2004. In 2006, he moved to become um the um, managing director of the ABC, as, as you probably know. Um, 
So Mark really does know his way around both the media um, and and on the media side, we're talking about both the content side of the media, but also media management and media strategy. Mm-hmm. So he, he kind of really has a deep background in that area. Um, secondly, uh, when he was at the ABC, um, he because he wasn't the head of uh, Fairfax uh, when he was there, uh, but he, he became the head and the public face of the ABC as the managing director. And uh, I think... I think he was editor-in-chief as well at the ABC or or something similar. Um, So, again, when you head up an institution like uh, the ABC, which is a um, uh, publicly owned entity, um, that is funded by and reports into Parliament. um, And he had to uh, face up to Senate inquiries and hearings uh, about its budget and its performance. Um, so he's very used to dealing with the, um, the political class in, in Canberra uh, and really has uh, earned his stripes in terms of a political operator, uh, a manager and, uh, and person running a very big media company, both in the broadcast area and in the print area. So, you know, he really knows his way around all that. Uh, but going to the University of Sydney, um, I think was a bit of a surprise externally, but um, from what I understand internally, um, he was by far the, the best candidate when it came to um, the interviews. Um, he is a very, very, as you said yourself, a very polished um, uh, speaker. He can articulate uh, very clearly a vision, I think, or a mission for the university. Um, what he doesn't have is, of course, the academic background. Um, and I can tell you that in the case of, um, uh, of a number of universities, not having an academic or research background would disqualify you from even getting onto uh, a long list or a short list at university. But I think what, what Mark brings is the ability um, to synthesize very quickly what University of Sydney is about, what its strengths are, um, how to uh, project itself, and to do so in a language, uh, and this is absolutely critical, which is not PR, it's not hype, but it actually is a, a very um, uh, confident way of presenting the modern university to wider civic society, but also uh, to um, the political masters and funders from government, and, and by that I mean the Department of Education, uh, but also the um, cabinet minister responsible for universities. Um, So he is somebody who I think will really be able to present the university strongly. And frankly, that's where many universities have fallen down because they they have vice chancellors who are good academics or maybe good researchers, but frankly, they've never run a big public corporation or, or entity and nor have they got the political skills to actually deal with um, government of the day. So um, for all those reasons, um, I'm told um, I- I'm told by somebody who sat in on the panel that um, he was head and shoulders above uh, the other candidates, and uh, where he does have some weaknesses, um, I-, I believe, and I'm only speaking because I-, I-, I know Mark reasonably well, I think he will pick up, um, any issues 
that um, that he's not, you know, really clearly across uh, very quickly and be able to prosecute that in, in a very positive way for the university. Plus, also, he's a good listener, and uh, I think that's half of the uh, the issue of being a vice chancellor is listening to your deans, listening to your, you know, the, the key people across the university, and then projecting um, a well honed message, um, you know, externally. Well, Professor Andrew Jaspin, thank you for talking to Campus Review today about uh, the current uh, state, really, of um, the Australian uh, higher education sector.